This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Per Nyberg. He's the VP of Strategic Markets and Alliances at Quantum Machines. Per has worked for over three decades in the development of market strategy, product introduction, organizational development, and go-to-market execution with leading-edge technologies, including machine learning, cloud, and supercomputing. This includes 16 years at Cray. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that, Per. Uh, he's responsible for the development and execution of Quantum Machines' global growth strategies in the government, academic, and commercial markets, inclusive of national quantum initiatives, key nationally funded quantum centers, cloud providers, and enterprises. Per is also the lead for integrated HPC and quantum computing at the Quantum Strategy Institute. His company, Quantum Machines, envisions a time when quantum computing revolutionizes entire industries, solves global problems, and drives unprecedented innovation. To achieve that goal, the company created the Quantum Orchestration Platform, QOP, which is designed to realize the full potential of a quantum computing technology at any scale and deliver the most advanced quantum capabilities to quantum system developers. Built by a world-class multidisciplinary team of quantum scientists and engineers, the QOP powers quantum breakthroughs and accelerates the path towards the new age of quantum computing. So welcome, Pear, and thanks for joining me. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you. Pear, I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. My objective is really twofold, certainly to give our audience a sense of what you did before you joined Quantum Machines, but also more broadly to orient the audience to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So I'm wondering if you could please share with our listeners a bit about your background and the path so far, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, insight into companies where you worked. Uh, any details about working at Cray would be fascinating. So tell me about how you got into quantum. Yeah, sure. So uh, so, so at the beginning, so I, I grew up mostly in Montreal, Montreal, Canada, um, and uh, studied computer science at uh, Concordia University. And uh, I, was, I was really fortunate at the time this was you know 30 plus years ago there was a what they call a co-op program where you had the opportunity to do uh, kind of work semesters interleaved with studies and my you know I started off working at uh, the atmospheric environment service as it was called then which is environment Canada so the weather forecasting uh, guys and at the time um, NEC the Japanese uh, company won a large supercomputer procurement there and uh, I ended up joining NEC even before I graduated from, uh, from uh, university. And that really started my career in, in high performance computing or, or supercomputing. Um, and, and so that, you know, that basically took me along that path of, uh, let's just call it advanced computing. Um, and so I worked at NEC for uh, roughly about 12 years around the world. And then, uh, as you mentioned, joined Cray. Um, and at Cray, I had a, a few different roles. Uh, one was running all of our uh, industry verticals, so you know, oil and gas, and uh, you know, financial services, cybersecurity, all the way through to uh, earth sciences. And in particular, that was one of my focus areas personally was the the weather and climate space, and one that uh, I still hold dear to my heart. 
And uh, the last role I had at Cray was, uh, you know, a, a corporate VP in the AI area, which at the time, you know, a few years ago was, you know, just starting to take off uh, within the uh, high performance computing space. It was a, kind of a workload that was really growing across pretty much every single one of our customers. Um, and then after Cray, I, I went and worked at a, an AI company, an AI SaaS company. And then about a year ago, um, uh, Quantum came knocking on my door and uh, I was really, really intrigued to, to sort of get back into the advanced computing space. And, uh, you know, I was really happy to see that Quantum had advanced far enough that uh, it was really becoming an industry. And, you know, I have to say that there was a lot of the reason for coming back beyond, you know, I love the technology, but just the the kind of the customers, right? I mean, I think that was something that was a real privilege at Cray was, was the, the end user. So, so that was kind of what brought me back into uh, into the advanced computing and, and quantum space. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. So uh, tell me about quantum machines. So tell me about the founders and what their vision is. As you say, you know, we're moving into an era now where it's becoming more and more viable. I mean, and, you know, as you say, real clients are using these, starting to use these tools and this technology. What was the, What's the vision behind quantum machines? What's their, their yeah. sort of vision mission, if you will? Yeah. So, so, so first of all, it was founded by, uh, you know, three quantum physicists, right? And, and they, they all studied, obviously, they all PhDs in quantum physics, uh, Itamar Sivan and, and Jonathan Cohen and Nissim Ofek. And, and, and Nissim in particular uh, is, is actually quite famous in the uh, quantum physics or quantum computing space because he was the first person to actually demonstrate uh, quantum error correction when he's doing his studies at Yale. And it was really the three of them that uh, they all met at the, the Weizmann Institute and, uh, you know, had a, a kind of a, an entrepreneurial passion as well. And, and as the, you know, the quantum computing industry started to take off, and this is, you know, roughly about three years ago, uh, you know, they decided to, to focus in in that, that quantum control space, right, that, that set of technology. Um, and, and so that, that was really the genesis of the company. Um, and I mean, if you, if you know about quantum computing, you got two basic pieces to it. You know, you got the, the quantum processors themselves and then the other side, you got the quantum control. Um, so that's, that's re- was really their focus of their research. And, and that's also where they want to focus uh, the business as well. Again, logical you know, progression from certainly AI and high performance computing sort of into quantum. So uh, you were excited to see that it was viable, and uh, they they reached for you. How did they track you down? Let's get this guy at Cray. I know a guy at Cray that could probably do this. Or, yeah, no, I, I think it was it was more the the HPC side of things, and and, and I think that um, I mean, look, it's it's, it's I, I think that's why they found me. But um, it's <laughs> uh, it's certainly one of the the logical endpoints for for quantum computing is high performance computing, and and so. Yeah. I guess my background just sort of made sense to uh, to what they needed, and especially from a kind of a growth perspective. And and you know, as you introduced me, I've, I've always worked kind of on the business side, if you will, of technology. And and that's that's the really where quantum is today. I mean, there's obviously a lot of development still to be done, but I think one of the exciting things that people maybe don't talk so much about in quantum is that it's you know it's it's an industry being born in front of our eyes, right? The supply yeah. chain and the commercial relationships and and so, um, so yeah, anyways, that's, that's kind of a really exciting thing in the industry in general and in part of my role at, at, at quantum machines. Yeah. So I want to jump into the, uh, the technology, if you will, the, the portfolio. So we all know error correction is a primary barrier to the development of viable quantum computers, right? Now that said, your quantum orchestration platform, QLP is described as a 
scalable, cloud-ready solution for the control and operation of quantum computing algorithms, as well as quantum error correction in real time. So can you tell our listeners how this works? Well, maybe just a little bit about the kind of, you know, the, the primary, I guess, design goals, if you will, of of the technology itself. And uh, and and certainly, you know, quantum error correction is 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 one of the things that it does, right? But yeah. taking a step back, it, it's you know the, the real time capabilities are something that that's really critical to 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 error correction and, and other things as well. Um, so that was kind of one of the, the the primary kind of focus areas when when they designed the platform. One was this real time capability. Um, uh, the, the other one is around scale, obviously, right? Um, you know, we, we talk about increasing qubit counts and we, we tend to just think about the qubits themselves. But again, as I mentioned before, that's that's one part of the quantum computer. The other part is that you, have, you have to control them, right? And, and so so really it was critical to design the, the whole platform for scale, right? And, and again, that's kind of an exciting inflection point that we're at right now in the industry is that, you know, it, it is you really starting to see that uh, that curve go up in terms of, of cubic counts. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the, the, the importance, though, of, of, of real time capabilities for error correction um, is, you know, when you think of for, for a quantum error correction, you need, you know, a bunch of physical qubits that you encode into a, a single logical qubit. Right. And then in order to you know, protect that that logical qubit from errors, you need to be constantly measuring, you know, some of these qubits that encode the logical qubit. Um, and then you need to process these measurements on the classical side to infer if there was an error that needs to be fixed, right? So all of this needs to be done in real time, then orchestrated and that kind of, you know, that feedback latency and, you know, latency is obviously a, a measurement or a, a term that you use a lot in high performance computing as well is absolutely critical. And especially as you start thinking, as you scale up in qubit counts, again, this, this real time performance is, 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 is really, really essential. Um, and, and so, you know, when they, when they conceived the product initially, um, it's, you know, one of the things that they built was this, this, this custom pulse processor as it's called, um, and that, that really enables this real time capability. Um, and, and so while, you know, quantum error corrections, the kind of long game that, uh, that everybody's looking at in order to just get there, our argument is also, you need to have, you know, faster, you know, rapid development of new types of protocols so that we can reach, you know, fault tolerant quantum computing. Um, so there's a number of sort of benefits or aspects to, to this this capability. Yeah. So one intriguing and distinguishing characteristic of your solution to me is that it's qubit agnostic, if you will, to coin a phrase, right? That it works with a wide range of qubits currently available, including superconducting, trapped ions, quantum dots, neutral atoms, NB centers, just to name a few. How are you able to deliver this kind of flexibility across this range of qubit options? Yeah, so 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 maybe to first say that um, is, is you know that long list that you gave also you know it illustrates that you know there, there's no one solution today. Um, I guess it's a bit of a, a source of debate if there ever will be, right? Um, and you know may, maybe in the future there'll be some sort of rationalization. I, I don't know, right? But uh, but but certainly today there's all this this really vibrant research and development into all these different modalities. That that is critical for us to to advance the industry. So I think that that diversity I think is an, actually an important aspect to, to what the industry is doing today. You know we have you know customers today in, in all of those various modalities, 
uh, some more than others, and some of it's a little bit historic, like superconducting circuits is, uh, you know, the, you probably count more customers in the world in that area. But then there's other ones that are, are, are newer, right? But the, this is really achieved, much of it is actually achieved through this pulse processor that I mentioned that, uh, you know, as it turns out, a lot of these different modalities, it's, it's you know, the pulse shaping and what have you is, is actually the same across. Um, there's obviously, you know, specific hardware, whether it's microwave, uh, you know, pulses or lasers or cameras or what have you that, that you need for a, a specific modality. But you can kind of think of it as, you know, 80, 90 percent of the, the platform is common. And then you have kind of, you know, specific interfaces depending on the modality. So that, that's really how we're able to achieve this. So continuing on the sort of tech conversation, I want to ask about SDKs and APIs, right? So a logical extension of the qubit conversation would be, does your solution favor any specific languages or libraries like Qiskit or QSharp or PennyLane? And also I want to ask you about QUA, right? The language of quantum, which was described on the site as a uh, powerful yet intuitive language designed for quantum physicists. So, so QA is it's called QA, QA. Um, QA okay. So, so you're right. I mean, it, it is, it's a, it's a pulse level language, right? So okay. let me, let me start there and kind of work my way up. Um, yeah. So, so you, as you know, I mean, the, the, the way that these, um, you know, the instructions, you know, the algorithms, if you will, are all encoded in these pulses, right? So, so starting at that level of, you know, the, the pulses into that, you know, that, that operate to the, the, the QPUs, um, you can think of sort of that, like qual, like an assembly language for quantum computing, right? So it is the lowest level. Now, you know, the, the, what we've done though is is made it very as as you stated kind of intuitive, and, and it's Python like, right? So you can actually you know use this level this this pulse level language to one program any QPU as as we, as we just talked about, um, but because it's it's Python like, you can actually develop you know very sophisticated algorithms in a very you know, simple and fast way, but also a very compact way as well, right? So you can do, for example, you know, sophisticated uh, quantum error correction protocols in just a few hundred lines of code, right? So, so that's we also talk about kind of the, the productivity of the language. Um, and then this language, because it's at that lowest level, really exposes all the features of, you know, the, the pulse processor, but also, you know, really is able to extract the full performance out of the QPUs, which is, really important right that's one of the big debates or you know not necessarily debate but research areas as well is how to get more effective use of whatever qubits that you have um so that's that's one of the things that this this language is able to do um but then as you kind of go up the stack if you will um it's obviously very important that you have uh you know kind of you're able to 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 to, to have integration into higher level languages. Um, so, you know, we've have completed integration into OpenCASM3, for example, which then also allows us to integrate with Qiskit and other languages. So, so I think that, you know, it's that kind of top to bottom approach that, that, that we've really taken. And I think it's important. It's actually one that's, that's rapidly evolving as well in, in, in the community. No, that's great. That's exciting. So we've come to what I describe as the inevitable question around clients, right? So I realize you're at the ISC event in Hamburg, so thank you for joining us from a remote location. Um, and you just said there's a lot of interest in quantum um, at this event. 
Now, on your site, you have many endorsements and testimonials from university researchers, but I want to ask if there are client engagements that you could share. You know, what, or maybe what verticals are embracing your approach, what kinds of use cases you're seeing. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, so we've got, you know, a, a very large client base. I think it's, uh, we've got over 80 customers around the world. Um, you know, for the most part, these are, uh, you know, quantum physicist researchers at, you know, government labs, DOE labs, for example, yeah. or uh, leading universities, uh, you know, like Caltech as, a, as another example. And, um, you know, these are around the world. And on top of that, we are an OEM to full stack providers. Um, and we also have a number of other enterprise customers as well, which, you know, obviously we can't disclose, but, uh, you know, these, these are, you know, large multinationals doing, you know, research and development into things like quantum communication. Um, so it, it's, it's certainly a, a very diversifying, um, you know, customer base. And I think a lot of it is obviously as, as the technology matures, you get more and more players coming in again from that more kind of commercial or uh, enterprise side of things. And, you know, and along those lines, as, as you mentioned about uh, the ISC conference in, in Hamburg, and, you know, this is a, it's a high performance computing conference. And, you know, it's been around for a number of years and, you know, similar to the SC series in, in the US, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, uh, you know, labs that are here and, and, and vendors, obviously. And, you know, what's kind of exciting is there's been so much quantum content. Um, and, and so I think this shows the, as I'll use the business term, the kind of the demand side of the equation developing. So it's not just vendors talking about quantum, but but also, you know, users really looking at, okay, so I'm ready now. You know, I, I want to start building a, a quantum capability. I want to start, you know, exploring the technology. And, uh, you know, that is, again, becoming, um, you know, more and more diverse, but it's also well-funded. And I think this is also a good reflection of, you know, the, the maturity of the industry. Um, Europe in particular has announced recently a number of, um, you know, large, you know, they're going to acquire some, some very large uh, quantum computers uh, and, you know, the order of 100 qubit plus um, by, the, uh, by the end of 23. And then, you know, another further set of large systems by the end of 24. And all of these large quantum computers will be installed at HPC centers, right? So again, this is kind of a, a natural evolution that we all expected. And then the next sort of extension from this that everybody's, you know, uh, kind of exploring and thinking about is, you know, okay, so how do you integrate quantum into HPC? How do you move quantum into becoming more accelerator-like um, so that you can really tightly integrate them? And, and look at what sorts of use cases at a higher level, you know, can take advantage of quantum kind of an offload fashion to some degree. And so I think that, again, it's a good reflection of, of, of the industry. It's a good reflection of the users. And it's a good reflection of the technology. Yeah. I just want to continue the client conversation again without having you reveal any, you know, confidential information that would represent a competitive advantage for clients, but wondering... Uh, if you could share which of your offerings uh, is getting the most traction, I see on the website uh, in broad categories, categories there are cloud sensing and networks. You'd mentioned networks. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Like where, you know, is it, are the solutions getting the most traction? Would you say? 
Yeah, m- most are in what you would call the quantum computing space. So they are, you know, they they're they're controlling qubits, right? Um, so I, I think that's the the, the vast majority. Um, there is also, um, you know, a fair amount around the, the communication space as well, but that would be a, a smaller percentage. Uh, I think some of it just kind of reflects the maturity of things as well, right? Um, so that could could change over time. Um, you, you mentioned cloud, and I, I would actually think of that more of co- almost like an end user market to some degree, right? So it could be, you know, HPC is one end user market or, you know, deployment models, uh, cloud being another one as well. Um, and, and so, um, you know, a number of our customers are looking at, you know, cloud as a, as a deployment vehicle, uh, even within the academic space, um, you know, they you know, many have set up small centers and now they want to start to expand their user base, right? So again, that could be within within a number of universities or a single university. Um, there are some of the academic um, projects that were involved in, in, in Europe as an example where, you know, it's specific that it needs to be deployed on the cloud again, just to kind of get the broader set of stakeholders. Um, right. And, and then I think that uh, also from a cloud perspective, again, it's a, a bit of a business model question that there's a lot of discussion around within quantum, right? So where, you know, where will this all end up? Uh, you know, it's that typical on-prem versus cloud discussion. And I, I think it's it's not an either or. And I think there's there's also aspects of this, of there's going to be kind of steps in the, in the journey, if you will, where things end up. And it's, again, I think at the end of the day, as long as the technology is moving forward, some of those more, you know, uh, market or business questions, business model questions will, will start to sort of sort themselves out over time. I want to ask you about partnerships. We're seeing more and more kind of relationships, uh, strategic partnerships, certainly mergers and acquisitions in the quantum space as it emerges and morphs and matures. Uh, I read recently about your acquisition of QDevil, small Danish company that makes auxiliary electronics and specialized components needed for quantum processing units. What if you Tell our listeners about how this acquisition is going to expand the quantum machines portfolio and solutions capability. Yeah, so so I, I think when when you know when we looked at Q Devil, they uh, a great company, a lot of lot of synergies there in terms of um, you know even customer base. I mean, they were actually in some of the same customers that we're in as well, and um, you know, a lot of synergies, technology, customers, and, and, and culture as well, which is all, all all critical for for any companies like that when you're when you're merging them together. Um, but uh, from a, a solution perspective, um, you know, it kind of extends the, the you know, uh, you know, our, our, our range of technologies all the way down to they, they literally touch the qubits, right? So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, in, in a superconducting circuit, um, you know, you have this, you know, the, the, the sort of electromagnetic shielding that you need to have around the actual chip itself, right? So, QDevil has a product called QCage that that does that. Right. And then it sits inside the, you know, the, the dilution fridge. Right. So, um, you, you know, when you when you think about, you know, I mentioned scale earlier on. And, you know, one of the big questions in, in the industry is, OK, so, you know, you start scaling up this up into thousands or hundreds of thousands or you know, even million potentially uh, of qubits. Um, you know, you get a lot of other technologies, supporting technologies, uh, you know, the cabling and, and, and all the sort of the, the cryo equipment. So the, the number of parts, if you will, that you need to deliver a solution really expand pretty dramatically. And, 
you know, more importantly, it's also the the technology and the design of these that becomes even more important, right? Um, so even from our perspective, as we look at scaling up control systems for larger uh, cubic counts, you know, just cable density becomes or, or channel density starts to become one of the primary factors, right? So, so it was really important for us to take a much more you know, uh, a broader is an opportunity to take a broader look at, um, you know, that set of electronics. Great. Well, congratulations on that acquisition. And that's very exciting. Pear, I, I always like to conclude my podcast conversation with a discussion around workforce, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. Um, so I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Quantum Machines in finding talent. So how do you go about recruiting for the company? Do you have affiliations with universities that are, provide a pipeline? or And also, are there specific roles in specific disciplines that tend to be harder to fill than others? Yeah, great, great question. So uh, maybe one general comment first. I mean, there's a, there, there's a lot of discussion in the industry that, uh, you know, talent supply could, could actually constrain, um, you know, the, the, the advancement of quantum. And I, I really believe that's true. Um, you know, it, it, is, it is a pretty you know, unique set of skills. Um, and so like any industry, you, you heard exactly the same thing in the kind of the early days around AI, that uh, you're very kind of skill dependent um, for, for growth. Um, so, you know, we're no different, right? And, and so, you know, we're obviously a, a growing company and, uh, you know, hiring is, is you know, the, the, the right skills and in the different parts of the company is critical to sustain that growth. Um, you know, we're very fortunate in the sense that, uh, you know, we're certainly one of the larger companies, uh, you know, we're based in, in, in Tel Aviv and, you know, the, the Israeli community at, at large is, is a very skilled, skilled workforce. So, so we're able to tap into that uh, quite well. Um, we're also expanding internationally, um, you know, obviously not only from a business perspective, but, but also looking at talent elsewhere. And, and actually QDevil is a good example. Right. They have a very, very solid team there. Um, so, so I think all, like all companies, you know, we're looking at, you know, how do we align our strategic growth objectives with skills and, and even location as well? I, I think the other th comment that I make around the specific skills is that, you know, like a lot of companies, we, we probably had a, a very high percentage of, of quantum physicists, right? Because that was really necessary for that, uh, you know, that, that very fundamental research. But certainly as we, you know, keep pursuing this commercialization and, and, and the, you know, the, the, the product growth and what have you, uh, you know, software engineering, the, the more kind of, you know, computer science and, and other areas become absolutely critical. So, so we're growing in all, in all, you know, in all of those areas. In terms of relationships with, uh, with universities, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we're, we're as dependent as anyone else on, on kind of that skilled workforce growth. And, uh, there are actually, you know, a number of universities that we work with um, in, in terms of not only just recruiting, but even participating as well in, you know, developing the next, you know, generation of workforce. Um, in, in Europe, there's a, there's a program called Effect with, with, with a Q that really looks at the, the kind of master's level uh, development of, of quantum skills. And, and we actively participate in that. We actually have some of our, you know, quantum physicists and engineers uh, help to teach uh, courses there. Um, so it's not just a matter of, you know, trying to, to tap into talent, but actually help in developing it in the first place as well, which I think is really important. 
Yeah. You know, I have to mention, preparing for our conversation, I did some due diligence, looked at the website, the career page, and I was struck by, and I think this is an important point to make for our listeners, that there are opportunities that don't require a PhD in physics. I mean, as you know, with any growing business, uh, a range of skills needed across different kinds of disciplines, right? So that was exciting. Are there non-science roles that you could just point out that are uh, that are open at the company? Yeah, well, certainly, Alasha had mentioned if they were looking for PhDs and quantum physicists, I would have been bottom of the list, right? Not even on the list. So I was, <laughs> I'm well. glad that they, they looked at, at other criteria. But, um, but, but, but in all seriousness, yeah, look, like I said, I mean, things like software engineering, I mean, logic design, uh, all of the things, all those skills you need to build, you know, you know, hardware and software technologies, right? So, so certainly that, that entire spectrum. And then obviously on the business side as well, right? Um, I think as, as I mentioned earlier, the kind of the demand side of the equation starts to grow, you know, we need, we need business people um, as, as we start to look at establishing commercial relationships with with partners whether as an oem or other types of business relationships you know again you need those types of individuals um so so i think it's it's literally across the business which is really exciting yeah no that's great well pair i want to thank you for joining me i want to invite people to follow you and the company on linkedin i'm going to point them to the website which is www.quantum-machines.co I noticed you also have a Twitter handle uh, at QuantumQM if our listeners want to follow you on Twitter. And just uh, to say thank you again for joining me, Pierre. I really enjoyed our conversation. Great. Thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it as well. I want to say thanks again to Pierre for joining me today and to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Pierre. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I also encourage you to take a look at InsideQuantumTechnology.com for the latest news on quantum, as well as information on our events and research reports. I encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.